So here we are for another episode of the Bad Day Podcast with me, Adam Rigg. Uh, and this week on the podcast, we have uh, the owner, the head honcho, the main man at Lunaria Records, Chris Rand. Hello, Chris. Hello, Adam. An absolute pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, likewise. Nice. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Uh, it's our second ever podcast. don't know if you, did you hear the first one we did? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tuned in like all good folk. It was okay. It was our first one. There was a few technical uh, issues and we did drink a lot of bourbon. Uh, but it was good. I enjoyed it. Those guys are really good. Those guys were from Top Hill podcast uh, yeah. people and they've been doing podcasting about a year and a half. So we were like, we were getting some tips and hints off them about how yes. to podcast. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I listen to. There's a few sort of uh, key ones I use, and they've been go, you know listened to, and they've been going for a number of number yeah. of years. Adam Buxton's one of them, and he's a bit of a. If you ever want sort of uh, podcast tips, I think he's a good good one to go to. What um, was he? He was in a show, wasn't he? Adam Buxton. What Adam and Joe. Adam and Joe, of course he was. Yeah. You're showing your age now, there, Chris. I remember. Oh, so even even I'm too young for that, really. Yeah, Adam Buxton. The only other one I listen to really is Joe Rogan. I do like Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. Because he has a lot of guests. I'm like, I'm a bit of a conspiracy nut, so I'll, I love all that kind of stuff. Like UFOs and stuff. Yeah. But here, yeah, digress. So this week's episode is, because, because you own your own record label, which is pretty cool, we thought we'd do an episode on... Yes, we don't want to tell people how to start their own record label, do we? Because then they'll all start record labels, and then well, well, that's called self-releasing, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is it. I mean, that's a good. Let's start with that. That's a great question. Why do why do record labels still exist, and what do they do that artists can't do themselves? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'm sort of, you know, it's it's been challenging yet very rewarding over the last, how long has it been now? It's been a year, hasn't it? Of running a record label, uh, of which, can we mention that you, are we mentioning this later? Well, I mean, you know, if you want to mention possibly the best band in the world, who are you? Maybe we'll save that to the end of the podcast, keep listening. And um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been, yeah, challenging yet very rewarding because we, I, I set this up in the January before the global pandemic so in january 2020 i launched the website for for lunari records and had put together content and started putting a sort of um a catalog together of artists and um with with the intention of doing some releases and putting on some shows because the whole sort of business model of the label was gigging based you know it was all tight you know it's a roots label so it's all about getting the music out there on stages getting people who've never heard the band to buy products and stuff like that and then yeah roll on two months and uh you know obviously i put in the groundwork and then everything had to drastically change um so you know from that side of things you know it would have you know i mean i've got two three-year-olds girls so at that point i could have just gone oh do you know what forget it i'll i'll shelve this idea but in a way because you know i'm 
you know, I'm coming from the performing background. You know, I've been a sax player and keyboard player for, you know, gigging since I was, well, since since I left left university. So, um, you know, and I've been a full-time musician all that time. So I'd, the whole reason of starting the label was because, you know, I was doing a self-release, but I didn't want to just make up a record label name so it could go on digital streaming. So, you know, I set up, I wanted to set up a platform for sort of people who are in a similar career level to me. You know, I mean, I've done, I've done enough gigs with sort of notable artists, but, you know, I've always been in bands or sideman in bands, had projects of my own, but, you know, very much a sort of workhorse, you know, musician. And so I just wanted to sort of, create this platform where people who had similar projects and sort of similar aspirations which wasn't to like sort of you know um, sell out stadiums but like just get get their music to a wider audience get more people listening to what they're doing and um and yeah it kind of went from there but obviously yeah roll on two months from when we started and it's like ah oh, right so no no gigs then <laughs> So, you know, like my album was scheduled for the June, for June 2020. And I had, I had a launch, launch gig booked in London and maybe about half a dozen, eight or nine gigs sort of booked in, dotted around the release date. And obviously they all got rescheduled um, or cancelled, sorry. And uh, yeah, I just sort of thought, well, if I'm not gigging, you know, I do have time to invest in this, you know, and if there's anything that I can come out the end of this with, if it's a working record label that's, that is getting music out there, that is selling albums, then, then that's just a win. Mm. Um, so, so going through the process of setting up a label for a self-release because what the intention was to that I was going to, you know, use the release of my album in order to sort of springboard the brand. Um, what ended up happening is, you know, the interim time between setting up in January and the release, you know, bands got in touch. Um, I scheduled a release for September with Jimmy Regal and the Royals, which we released under lockdown. Um, some some guy from a band called Bad Day Blues Band got in touch with me, so you know we released their album. You know that did okay. It's amazing. Uh, I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it's, it's fast, <laughs> lively. <laughs> Don't play it in your car or we get a speeding ticket. So, um, so sort of, um, you know, building on that sort of premise of you know you you create an, a you create a fictitious name in order to sort of put it out online on a streaming site because some online digital stream you know um streaming services online sorry online distribution services require you to put a record label name in and sometimes it could well sometimes it actually explicitly says don't put the band name so you do have a lot of people you know creating their own record label but the only artist on their record label is themselves and it's just self-releasing because obviously there is more to running a record label than just putting the music out there so um, it has been interesting to sort of see what people have been doing, certainly over the last year, because the, the output of new music has just been 
pretty incredible really you know people have really you know um developed the skills to do home recording they've got you know they've they've bought bought the gear they've watched the youtube videos um not to say that i'm not one of them you know that definitely i was always very keen to sort of build a studio alongside the record label you know that was sort of something else i wanted to sort of sort of work towards so again you know having the sort of plug-in discounts and that kind of stuff yeah definitely get involved with that but um yeah ultimately i think the theme of self-releases has still been and i suppose even right now because you know music is such a you know um disposable commodity that um the release only lasts for the the amount of time that you put the effort in to promote it and if you're doing a self-release you've done everything yourself some people even just do their own artwork and they're doing the album design they're you know they're sending it to reviewers and they're sending it to radio pluggers and they're trying to organize live streaming gigs but it's just a numbers game like you can only put in so much effort you will only reach a certain number of people within your sphere on social media that if that's fine if you're totally cool with that then that's brilliant but to me you know that's just not enough really and i kind of through meeting certain people over the last few years certainly certainly the year before um the pandemic which is what instigated an idea for starting a label i was just meeting people from very different genres who were quite high up either in booking festivals or they ran um you know they they just had you know fingers in many pies in say the folk world or the blues world or the classic rock world and you know that's very much out of my remit you know sort of jazz funk blues but the fact that i'm still meeting these people and having chats with them and having a drink i just thought i've got to i've got to use this i've got to incorporate this into my world and mm -hmm. the only the way i thought of doing that was by starting a label and then having artists who were writing music in those genres mm -hmm. and that i could then utilize those contacts mm -hmm. so um you know, and 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 I suppose that if if someone is running a label and is doing that, well, if you're an artist, that's that's why you sign up to a label, you know, because you're you, you are buying into the brand that that person is trying to create, um, and you know, if they're if it's in their interest to promote um, the brand and the, the your album, then then they will. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like, I think my opinion on like labels and DIY releases has, has changed in the, I guess, in the past year or so. I think I used to be of the opinion that uh, because music has changed so much, like with streaming and stuff, that the the gap between a label and a DIY release had shrank, perhaps. But actually, now. I, I don't think it has. I think uh, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this, but I think in many ways, even though how drastically music has changed in the past, I don't know, 10 years, I think a label 
a good label, a good big label, predominantly pretty much still does the same job they probably did in the 60s, you know, which, which is still contacts. It's all about reach. It's mm. about PR. It's about marketing. It's about knowing the right people, uh, which they've always done that, right? And, and I guess a big label now does the same thing that they did in the 60s, say, for some of the big bands. DIY stuff is great, but as you say, it's very contained, isn't it, in, in, the, in the bubble when something is a DIY release or self-released. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, totally. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I mean, the other thing is, I haven't really seen anyone <laughs> last year to really tell. You know, I mean, that this is a thing. I mean, like, there, there's some very good. You know, I was involved. You know, a lot with a lot of DIY-based sort of bands leading up to this, and we did some amazing gigs. And they, you know, some of them are some good friends of mine. Um, I think there's always something behind the DIY bands that are very successful. Not someone pulling the strings, but there's there's uh, there's there's a machine. There's a machine at work somewhere along the line. They tend to be very business orientated artists, or someone they're involved with, either directly in the band yeah, or yeah. behind the scenes has experience in business um and the theme that seems you know i mean this, oh, this is for every band but the one of the reasons why some of these bands are so successful i think or you know how it seems to me is that it's all about it's the fan base it's the core fan base and it's about increasing that engaging with them and in a way some of the people who are doing very well on social media at the moment in terms of live stream numbers and selling merch through that, like they're continuing to be able to promote their music. Well, they would have done that anyway because they were always interested in building their fan base via on either online or YouTube or, you know, um, I think that's the key. You know, if you really want to make big numbers and, you know, uh, I mean, aside from like supporting the Rolling Stones, you know, then then that is the way to do it is about sort of, you know, building a big fan base, in which case then when you do have a product, you've got a, a you know, a larger pool of people who are going to buy it. So then you can guarantee a certain, you know, certain sort of mm -hmm. cash sale. Um, but the other thing, the other side of that is they're all incredibly engaging online. You know, they're like fantastic. You know, they're everyone's friend and it's all about personal contact you know personal videos or you know i mean there was yeah it's um that personal touch which every band should do uh i'm not saying that you know if you're signed with a label you kind of wouldn't need to do that you do still need to do that what the label does it's just a third party and you just hope that the person who's running the label or involved with your pr is giving you know is giving the artist their time experience and sort of enthusiasm to help sell the products because that's the that's what it also is all about is just about helping the artists that's kind of what i wanted to do it wasn't to sort of just create a website here you go here's the album because that's not going to reach anyone you know i have to be just as active as the artist if if they're going if it's going to work I always 
think of like uh, the person, well, the person that kind of epitomizes the example I always think of is Alice Cooper. So like his record label, like, yeah. or someone like that, should I say, rather than just signaling out, but his record label must be like, oh, can't, can't you engage more with, can't you do live streams? And of course he can, because, you know, his whole persona or all that kind of thing is very mis- mysterious and there's a lot yeah. of mystery to him. Yeah. And if he goes on social media, you know, on a Friday night with a with a with a bottle or something, and try and, and engages and chats with all his fans, kind of destroys that kind of mystique. So I see from an artist's point of view that some some of the old school guys probably don't want to destroy that mystique and engage too much. Yeah. Labels, that's what a label wants, right? They want they want to see numbers, they want to see increased engagement and fan base going up and stuff, right? Well, I suppose, yeah, totally. And I think you know, I don't know. It, it, it... I suppose, you know, I can only speak from my own my own experiences. Um, and I certainly, you know, I haven't tried to model anything on other labels or, you know, try and sort of follow in the footsteps or ba- or even have a goal, really, because at the moment it's so difficult because even though we have sort of, you know, June in the calendar and festivals are back on, I mean, there's there's no guarantee that these gigs are going to happen. So, so you do have to be flexible in terms of being a record label that is working with artists that predominantly sell merch on gigs, you know, totally had to sort of, you know, change how everything works and just be a bit, you like say, be a bit more flexible with what happens. Um, I think, you know, I've had experience, you know, I'm not certainly not going to name names now and they, you know, I very much doubt they'll listen. But like, you know, I've been I was signed to a record label. Uh, they're based in Germany. And, you know, I was young, n- maybe naive and just, you know, it was it was totally like, you know, when you say to people, you know, look, when you get signed to your first record label, you know, don't get too excited. You know, just take your time. Don't sign straight away. Oh, hell, you know, I just do that all out the window. Anyway, I just it's like right. That's it. I'm gonna be big. That's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be ah, playing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, this this because they they had a reach over there at a base in New York. Um, they had artists signed from the UK. You know, who were playing at Ronnie Scott six oh six, and you know, I just oh great, they'll get my project in all these venues, and we'll go on tour. And, oh, I mean, you know, I couldn't have been further from the truth. I mean, they still owe me royalties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my album expired last November. So technically it falls back into my hands, but I haven't received anything. So uh, anyway, it just... Uh, so, uh, so, sorry? A re-release on Linaria Records. A re-release on Linaria Records, yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, and then the funny thing is, you know, um, so yeah, having that experience, I definitely did not want to sort of follow in their footsteps in terms of how they ran a label because, oh my God, I'm surprised there's anyone actually on their books. So, you know, I definitely wanted to, you know, have a bit more of a utilitarian, you know, approach in terms of, come on, we're all in this together. You know, I am a musician. I am, I, you know, once this is all, once this is over and we're going back to whatever normality, I am going to be back gigging. I'll be gigging my projects. I've been writing albums during this time they're going to be you know they're going to be out gigging like we're all going to be there i know exactly how it is in terms of selling numbers and uh, you know at the the various levels and it's like that's the reality we're all just trying to get it to more people 
and widen the reach and build something sort of almost as a community. And um, the bigger the brand grows, then the bigger the reach for each individual artist grows. But I think having that as a core belief, I'm, you know, you know, I do want to maintain because I think that's the only way you can maintain any sort of integrity. The problem with the bigger labels or even the sort of intermediary labels, if that's the right word, is, well, they've been bought out by Sony or Universal, you know. So they're, they are all run by the big labels, in which case then if they, they just want to sign for, 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 num for the numbers game, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, there's no guarantee that they're going to do a PR, proper PR campaign on your release or, you know, um, certainly, you know, if you get signed to, I don't know, if you get signed to Domino Records, are you going to be the next big thing on Radio 6? As a guarantee, probably not, because, you know, that's just not, it's just not how they work. So, you know, fewer artists, you know, bands that I really like, bands that I would potentially work with you know there's the other the other thing that's happening is that i'll be on and involved with the projects as a musician as well so double bubble you know, do you get a, kind of, do you get performance royalties from from that how does that work well i bloody hope so just get paid <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> i can play saxophone keyboards uh harmonica guitar bass yeah. and drums yeah. on this track um, yeah well, there's a there is. I mean, he definitely won't be listening. So there's. Um, I won't mention any names. There's. Um, I I was doing some work with Mick Taylor. You might have heard of him. So uh, and he's an amazing. There was a thing of. Um, you have heard of Mick Taylor, haven't you? I'm I'm familiar with his work. So he there was a thing of on uh, blues oh, awards thing. Who's the best blues guitarist? And I when I read it, I did think Mick because he's you know he's. An amazingly talented artist and very underrated i think um ever since his departure from the stones really um but anyway i was working with him on a few shows and we did cadogan hall in london a few years ago it was it was really good fun anyway there was a story that was around and there was someone who was associated with mick and um he was um uh i'm trying to trying to not mention names of anything but he was um he was either engineering or was running the studio oh, so he was either he was either the engineer at the time on um uh, a george michael track don't let the sound careless, oh maybe it's careless whisper no no maybe it's careless whisper. anyway it was a george michael track that became a hit maybe it was careless whisper and um, so he was engineering the session, but he wasn't in the band. He was just the end studio engineer. Um, maybe he produced it. Maybe he produced it as well. But um, yeah, anyway, so they obviously finished the session, done all the band go home, whatever, yada, 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 yada. Anyway, it comes to doing the line notes for the release. And he's put himself as auxiliary percussion on the album. <laughs> My notes. <laughs> so he's obviously got in and done think, a bit yeah. of extra percussion oh, and wow. then just sort of added it onto the track so that he could, um, yeah, right. totally, totally get mechanical rights, get PPL for that. So, um, so I mean, this is a big studio, so God knows how many tracks he did that to. It's probably what he lives off. 
Yeah. Anyway, so just it's an idea for people, you know, for the engineers <laughs> out there, if they want to make a bit of extra cash, just go and play a shaker on a track after the band have gone, and then <laughs> uh, watch the money roll in. So. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, we digress, but um, but yeah, no, it's it's certainly been right. It's been fun. Like you know, the alternative to not doing any of the label work would have just been, I don't know. Like I would have just done, I don't know. I don't know what I've done. I, I look after my girls, my partner. She's a GP, so you know we do sort of fifty fifty. But we you know we didn't have any of the help, any of the sort of, sort of um, support that we had, support structure we had before um the pandemic but you know certainly it's kept me sane because i couldn't practice i don't have the time to practice i don't really i've just started having the time to be able to write again you know and compose so actually chipping away at the label over the last year has been you know something that i've been able to do and you know i think you know has been worthwhile because some of the artists on the label have done very well they've just been in fact they've just been it came through the door today they've just been reviewed in uh, classic rock oh, so really? you know, what, yeah. what band is that is that uh bad, bad day bad day bad the bad no, boys bad boys bad. the bad boys of the, well they the, the bad boys of the blues featuring <laughs> um, um, sam springer i believe yeah sam springer sam springer on harp um but no no we we joke we joke but no um it's been it has been a pleasure working with you it's been yeah, really likewise. it's been fun hasn't it it's been yeah it has and it's very educational in terms of you know what you can do um certainly at the moment uh and you guys haven't done any live streaming you know we did sort of toy with the idea of maybe hiring a venue but even the logistics of that is either very costly or you can't, you know, you can't, you can't hire a venue. Um, and plus, you know, maybe people, you know, and well, not maybe, people just don't want to take the risk, which is, you know, totally fair enough um, in terms of sort of social distancing. I think for us, it was more down to uh, like logistics of the band and the style yeah. and stuff. Uh, <laughs> like, well, funnily enough, I'm doing the live stream on Sunday. I'm kind of yes. giving um, but that's yeah, just going to be like a solo, like kind of acoustic chilled thing, which is totally different vibe. And yeah, I think so Oasis, Oasis covers? There'll be zero Oasis covers. <laughs> Thank you very much. But, uh, but yeah, it depends on, on, I think, the artist, doesn't it? Like the ones that have done well on the live streaming are artists that were probably just doing acoustic stuff or solo slash duo stuff before the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, definitely. But we we were always very energetic, so it just didn't really. It's like the Alice Cooper thing as well. We have a, a mystique as well. I'd like to think when we play live, which I just didn't think was going to come across sitting in someone's bedroom. You know, did you see the Rolling Stones? I think I've talked to you about this before. When they did a live, they did one right at the start of the pandemic, and then they went, "No, let's not, let's not do that again." Because... I, I missed that. I missed. I'll have to check that out. Actually. Oh, it's just. Sorry. You don't even need to say it. You can imagine what it's going to be like. It's it's Charlie Watts sitting in a cupboard, hitting like some saucepans. Oh no, I did. I did. They were all doing it in their own homes. They were, yeah, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. they tried to do it. I don't think it was edited together. So I think they tried to do it live, which is right. a terrible idea because obviously everyone's going to be out of time because of the lag. 
Yeah. It was basically, it was Mick Jagger who was in time. He was leading it. And the rest were just kind of making some slight noises that were just slightly out of time. Uh, just like, yeah. And they didn't do it after that. They quickly realised, I think, that, you know, it's not it's not going to work for them as a band. Definitely not do that again. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I think some people have been really successful with it. But again, it's investing a lot in you know, just better better cameras, better lighting, a better sort of infrastructure. And that facilitates a better experience for the audience. Uh, if you don't really have any of that, then it's it's very difficult to sort of, you know, make it work. Uh, and like you're saying, you know, if it's not really, if the band, you know, does, if you can't convey what you would convey on stage, then there kind of really isn't any point. And if you are happy to wait then you, you might as well wait until you get back on stage you know yeah so um, yeah no, i did one i did one uh live stream uh a venue in nottingham <laughs> so we went all the way to nottingham to play in an empty room i'm not saying i totally i loved it i really enjoyed it but yeah it was just the, the sort of the sort of uh, comedy of the situation me and then someone else both drove to Nottingham to do a duo gig in an empty room to a streamed audience, wow. uh, which was bizarre, you know, like, uh, you know, the promoter was there who owned the, the venue and then the sound guy and then the chef because they were doing takeaways. This is uh, Peggy Skylight in Nottingham. I mean, they're fantastic. And, you know, in fact, he, he's gone in touch and I had another. So this was with my project called Consummate Rogues, which is the sort of my Americana band. So it was me and Di Price just doing sort of piano, singing, guitar and a bit of sax. And um, yeah, it was really, really fun. So, but I had the gathering books as well, but unfortunately that had to be rescheduled. So that's my other, that's one more sort of jazz, jazz project. So they'll happen again, but again, we've got to make a decision. Like, do we wait until some people can see it in the room? So that might be May, but we can't really book that and know for sure that people will be in the room until what, April? Or do we leave it until June? It's all sort of, it's it's funny. It's funny to be in that situation of like, I oh, will leave it, but well, don't want to leave it too long because it would actually be quite nice to be playing again. Yeah. But it's, it is just the logistics of booking things in and seeing if they happen or not. So um, the thing, it's tough. The thing I've noticed in the past, probably just the past week or two, is everyone was holding off booking anything until the, the last announcement came out. And now it seems a lot of people are scrabbling, like musicians and bookers, to get things booked in so they don't miss out. And like loads of this last week, like loads of announcements of like people playing at festivals and stuff. All of a sudden, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we had a whole summer of festivals to reschedule. So this is the thing: is like you know, and in fact, Jimmy. So if if it does work out, so Jimmy Regal, um, who was signed to the Lunaria. Um, they they'll do very well out of it they we were sort of back in, back when we released the album in september i don't know if we re, reshifted the date but they had gigs booked for august at festivals and we were always going to do sort of a pre-release then but i mean li they've literally just been moved to this year like the whole lineup same mm -hmm. same lineup same venue same date it's just been the posters just had one digit change. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and if that happened, you know, and that's what's happening across all festivals. The the only the only thing that is happening is American bands, fewer American bands are committing to book to play at the festivals because of travel restrictions. Yeah. 
So there are spaces to be filled at most festivals. So especially the Americana festivals, half the band, you know, half the bands who are booked are like potentially mm. not going to be there. So in which case there is a bit of a scrabble because obviously everyone would love to be on said festival stages. So, but it's, it, you know, I, for me, I definitely took the approach of, right, I'm happy just to wait and see. And I'm still kind of in that mind frame, really. I just don't want to sort of rush into booking a whole bunch of shows and then have to reschedule them all again because that is too much of a pain for me right now. So, uh, you know, and I've had, I've had, you know, I've had a few come in for May and June. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So I was going to say, what what does Linaria Records have in the pipeline for the future? Oh, see, okay. So we've got a release out today. Today? What is this going out? This is going out Friday. Friday. Oh, so we're going to go into the future now. Right, today, today on Lunari Records, Tom Remen and Jim Mullen have released Duality, which is a duo guitar album, uh, which is which is which is actually recorded in the middle of all this it was recorded in august so that's the wrong album it was recorded in august last year um tom's great tom's fantastic he's he was involved with the jazz warriors uh middle he's graduated from middlesex uni um the year before you know he's he's on the you know the leading sort of scene for you know, young British jazz musicians. And, you know, it's been a pleasure sort of working with him. A friend, a mutual friend of mine put us in touch, actually. And, uh, yeah, it's just been nice to sort of work on a really nice, interesting project. Jim's, I mean, Jim was in, you know, uh, he still is in Kokomo, uh, Average White Band, Morrissey and Mullen. You know, he's fantastic, like, legend of, you know, guitar wizardry. So it's sort of, you know, young meets older. Um, so there's a lot of sort of duality references in this album. Um, yeah, and it's definitely, you know, if you like your jazz, it's definitely worth checking out. And in a way, I suppose this is, you know, I kind of do always want to sort of emphasise when sort of speaking about the label. I mean, the the idea was it was always going to be a broad spectrum of releases. You know, I never wanted it to be a blues label. I never wanted it to be a jazz label. Um, mainly reflect because I wanted it to reflect my sort of tastes and sort of my, what I'm involved with. And I suppose going back to what I was saying about, you know, if, I, if I'm backstage at an after show party and I'm at a folk festival, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I was doing Manchester Folk Festival with Tankers the Henge who are brilliant bands and they released an album during lockdown that definitely worth checking out and uh, good friends of mine. And, you know, we were playing Manchester Folk Festival. They're not a folk band, but we were backstage and I was speaking to every booker from every folk festival in the UK. If I had a folk band on my label at the time, I'd have sewn up, you know, so it was basically just, you know, using these experiences and, you know, utilising, making making the best use of them so um yeah so i definitely wanted it to be a sort of diverse label um then in uh well i mean we released your album two weeks ago i've heard it's excellent, Rock, excellent. Which is, i've heard it's very good i've heard it's very fast very energetic <laughs> um 
but yeah, buy the buy the magazines and read the reviews. Um, yeah. So yeah, you've got awesome album by the Bad Day Blues has come out. Bad Day Blues is duality out. coming out. Duality, have I said that right? So yeah, Tom Remen and Jim Ren- uh, Sorry, Tom Remen and Jim Mullins' Duality. That's out today. Um, and then it goes. I mean, the other thing is, you know, I want to. I suppose I should maybe keep this a bit quiet. Is it's a very small office here at Lunaria Records, so I can't put out too much music because um, we just wouldn't be able to spend the the adequate enough time on the release. So that's the other thing is making sure that we are dedicating enough time to the artist to make it work and make the most of it. So we do have an album. Uh, we've basically penciled in an album from Five Points Gang. Uh, who I was lucky, I was had the pleasure of doing some lockdown tracks with over the last few months. It's been great sort of working with those guys. Um, so we've got their debut, another debut album out. Uh, we've penciled that in for the end of May, beginning of June. So um, we'll sort of have a bit of an idea over the next few weeks about that. Um, and then at the moment, we're, we're now basically approaching some new artists uh, of which it's sort of a broad spectrum. There's um, an artist from uh, New York that we might be releasing two of their albums, um, which are kind of ready. So then it's up to us when we want to release it and sort of in terms of timing, in terms of prep for the PR. Um, And then we've got another duo from Yorkshire who um, are potentially going to release their EP with us and we'd rather do that sooner than later and then we'd release their album um maybe you know six nine months down the line um and there's a possible artist from argentina so it's kind of it's it's really interesting you know it's interesting you were talking about the person from argentina do you think like do you think it doesn't matter anymore (coughs) where an artist is based and where the label is based well or or do you think it is still quite important in terms of like physical sales and stuff or, yeah, or, is it, or is it about distribution? Is that part of it? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, what is interesting, you know, so there's, I suppose there's two, there are, there's, you know, there's two sides to a coin of this. Um, uh, in the early days, I was getting a lot of interest from people in Israel, in Australia, uh, artists just from, you know, even if it's not that far away, but Germany, France, and I was so reluctant to sign anyone because I was like, well, no, this is a UK based label. I mean, you know, regardless of the fact that there was a pandemic, but like, you know, we're a UK based label. I'm going to be pitching this to UK press primarily at the time. And it's just like, what? Well, that's not, is that what you want? Are you going, are you, are you planning to come and do a tour in the UK? And, you know, really it's not, you know, they're just sort of, taking a shot in the dark and just looking for any sort of representation to a certain degree however the pete i mean this is interesting with the guy from argentina he spends most of his time touring europe and that's what appealed to me Um, and the fact that roll on nine months from when i was having similar conversations you know maybe a third of the press we get for a blues release is in europe you know Europe radio stations, magazines and blogs. So in a sense, we're already covering Europe. Uh, So if an artist from anywhere around the world is touring Europe, then if they've got a fan base or, you know, regular venues that they go to, 
that they could use to build a tour to support the release, then yeah, totally up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what appealed to me about this in particular artist. But the other flip side is with distribution. Yeah, it is global. Um, and, you know, I suppose if you're, you know, if the power, if your distribution, if your PR powerhouse is strong enough, it can work, you know, remotely. But also what's been interesting with sort of Spotify um, stats and one, you guys are a good example of this. You know, um, you're doing very good in Sao Paulo. So Sao Paulo is now your highest rated city on Spotify for plays and streams. Mm-hmm. So what I would do, well, why we, we, we will intend to do, is contact some Sao Paulo radio stations and try and get an interview. Because you've obviously got listeners there. How? I have no idea, because we've not approached any press in Brazil. Oh, no, we got played on a radio station. I think that's where it comes from. There's randomly that it's one of the biggest <laughs> radio stations in Brazil, likes us yeah. and places, which I, I'm presuming that's where it's, where it's yeah. been. Yeah. Well, who knows? Because, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea would be to, you know, build on that. And then, you know, obviously later down the line, potentially you could go and do a tour in, you know, yes. South America. You know, like that's, I mean, but that's the idea. That's the idea of the globalization of online music is that if it is reaching certain places at certain levels, you know, if you are doing, you know, you are reaching sort of certain, you know, figures in, you know, Sao Paulo or Buenos Aires in Argentina, whatever then it does make sense to, you know, go there because you've obviously got people there who are listening to your music and then you just expand on that. I mean, like, Bad Manners is a good example. I mean, they're massive in Mexico. So they just go and tour Mexico once a year. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. But but why not? I mean, okay, maybe it's that's not Spotify streaming, that's just the scar scene, but it's like, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. This, any any music is it has its popularity in different pockets but what you can use with the online um stats is to find out where your music is being played um you know and you know using using you guys as an example um barcelona and madrid you know so just go and book a gig in barcelona you know but we'll you know the idea would be you try and get some interviews on some local radio you know I don't speak Spanish, that might be an issue. That might be an issue, yes. Well, I'm sure you can get by. But anyway, it is interesting. So there is is an element of, yes, it doesn't matter where you are, you can make it work. However, in reality, the goals that I have for the label probably don't really work for an international artist um, because, you know, I don't have... I don't, you know, have my ear to the ground in their local local area. And if they don't have any intention of coming to gig in the UK or Europe, you know, in mainland Europe, then then it, it just makes it more of a challenge, really. So, but it, I definitely, you know, I I want to build the diversity. I want to build the, you know, the varying styles. So it, it will be something that I'm I'm keen to sort of explore. Is that why? Like sometimes you get like labels partnering up on releases. Is it because they don't say, for example, 
there's a label in America who signed an artist, but they want it to be big for whatever reason in Argentina. So they they seek out or pattern up with an Argentinian label. Is that a thing? Do they do that? Is that the reason? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm trying to think of like like us, for example. We've obviously yes, yes. I don't think it's very common. Because obviously you want to sort of have exclusive rights as the label to the licensing of the product. If the product does very well, blah, 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 blah. Um, going back to Spotify, what is very interesting is that your Japan stats have gone down and the UK stats have gone up. So it's it's going to be very interesting. So so in, in that sense, I have no idea how well you are doing in Japan. So we have no, you know, I can't comment massive you know, so it massive huge huge yeah five nights of the blue night in tokyo totally no do i'd be I'm happy sure i'd be I'm happy sure yeah no well, i'm coming and i'm putting myself like nick yeah. nick's really into japanese whiskey funny enough so oh no, that is a thing that's a very expensive habit to get into in lockdown that's for sure i've never had it i've never had it. i might have to yeah, try lovely. it lovely um, what are you drinking at the moment I might have mentioned it, but it's uh, the Master Distillery uh, series, Jack Daniels. Uh, not just normal Jack Daniels. Do you know what I wanted? I went in because we were chatting with these uh, Americans about bourbon. And I had had it before, about two years ago, and I got messed up on it. Uh, it was called Buffalo Trace. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it was proper expensive. Then, and I was like, oh, I want some of that. And now every, time, every shop I go into, there's just like an empty shelf with just the sticker just says this is where it should be but unfortunately everyone else has bought it because it's so awesome so you can't have it it's so good oh that's a shame so that's what i'm trying i'm going to hunt myself down some buffalo dress yeah well listeners you know what adam wants for his birthday yeah well if buffalo dress are listening i'd quite like a sponsorship deal please <laughs> do you want i'm drinking hobgoblin oh, that's okay. what i'm drinking and i've played i've done i've played at witchwood festival many times which is sponsored by hobgoblin right by witchwood brewery and on every occasion i've taken a very you know nicely positioned selfie in front of their big poster <laughs> various artists that i've been playing with and they have never been in touch so again yeah witchwood brewery if you're listening sponsorship from uh, hobgoblin please hobgoblin is that an ale i'm not really up on it oh, yeah yeah no it is an ale yeah well witchwood brewery so this is uh the dark ruby ale it's very tasty nice so that's what a jazz that's what a jazz musician drinks yeah yeah that's it yeah yeah warm beer warm proper beer proper proper, proper beer For proper musicians we drink proper beer uh, none of your lager or cider in this place with jazz musicians god damn it that's it warm beer yeah no it's um yeah sponsorships i mean that's well that's been you know that's been very useful for for your release, isn't it? It was nice working with Orange Amps and Wild Custom Guitars. When I was doing a bit of, uh, in the early days, when I was sort of chatting to artists who, you know, to try and get them to come on board, and I was like, you know, a few of them were friends of mine. I was like, look, what are you doing in terms of sales? And no one was selling anything. Mm. You know, no one is selling anything because no one's got any money. And there's too much choice. You know, you go to a gig, there's only one band maybe two bands merch available where well, you can just buy something from there but you go online or you you know yeah. you know and certainly support a band by buying their album well what if you support 10 
20 or 30 bands you're not going to buy all their albums no so you know some are just going to do you know better than others because they're streaming or whatever you know so it's it's very much a sort of you know you've got to tread water for a bit and and just use this time to to build better you know bigger fan bases a wider reach and for us as the label we're just sort of developing the brand and you know i'm i, I I honestly have to sit back and, and sort of realise that it is actually a fully functioning, working label that that is, you know, it is doing what it's meant to do. So I'm very pleased with that. And, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I thank the artists that are work, I'm working with to sort of help make that happen. So. Well, there we go. That's, that sounds like a great way to end the podcast, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, I didn't mention the, the inspiration for the name of the label. And it's okay. kind, of, kind, of, kind of quite important. And uh, But um, yeah, so um, Lunaria Records, it's the name of a herbal plant. So very sort of roots-based. And the logo on it is the seed head. And it's a translucent seed head, which you can sort of see the seed pods. And it looks like the surface of a moon. It's called Lunaria. But it's also the name of my twin girls. My, One's called Luna and one's called Aria. That has been Chris Rand from Lunaria Records, everybody. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on the Bad Day podcast.